Well, good morning. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Chris, and we're in this series called It's Complicated. Why? Because when people are involved, it always is. And so if for some reason you've missed a week or maybe it's your first time with us today, I just want to let you know, go on to renaissancechurch.org, click on Messages, and there you can download, listen, watch, share uh, all this entire series, but even our previous series. We also have a a discussion guides for every uh, uh, message or series we do. And so you can download the discussion guides. You can go through it personally or maybe with a group of people. So all of that's available for you online. And uh, last week, we kind of uh, focused on this one question. It's a question that I'm sure all of us have asked in multiple different ways and many different instances when it comes to our relational world. And uh, it's a question that Peter, some 2,000 years ago, asked Jesus. And here's the question. How many times do I have to forgive someone? And we, we all just want an answer to fill in this box, don't we? It's that, that question where it's like, how many times do I have to allow that person to? How many times do I have to put up with that person's actions? How many times? And Peter went to Jesus and said, Jesus, just give, give me a number. Give me a target. Because once I have that number, then, then I can function uh, within my relational context. The answer that Jesus gave must have been shocking to Peter in that moment. But I'm sure for all of us, it's shocking because you see the answer that Jesus gave was this. Infinity. Countless. There is no number that you put on forgiveness. Because you see, forgiveness is about canceling the person's debt. Forgiveness is more about what happens within us than what happens to that person that we're forgiving. Because you see, when, when, when we don't forgive... Bitterness and resentment and anger and hatred takes root into our hearts. And when that starts happening, it fractures how we relate to all people, not just that one person. So Jesus said, no, 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 you need to forgive. You need to cancel debts. Why? Because of what's going to happen within you. And if you're like me, you kind of step back going, that's difficult. Because that person has hurt me. That person has intentionally hurt me. That person continues to hurt me. And you want me to cancel their debt. Jesus tells a story. And the premise of the entire story is this. Yes, it's difficult. But what you need to focus on, how much God has forgiven you. See, when we all personally just pause and we look up and realize how much God continues to forgive us, it makes it easier, not easy, but it makes it easier to start forgiving other people. So we get the answer for this question, and for me, it, it quickly led to another question. And maybe you were wondering this as well. Does forgiveness mean that I have to fill in the blank, right? Does forgiveness mean I still have to talk to the person? Does forgiveness mean I still have to eat lunch with them? Does forgiveness mean I have to return their phone call or their text messages? Does forgiveness mean I have to show up you know, for Thanksgiving at their house? Does forgiveness mean that I have to 
fill in the blank. Isn't that the next logical question? So today, we're going to try to answer that question. What happens after you forgive someone? Now what? What happens after you cancel that person's debt? Now what? All of us in our houses or condos or apartments, wherever you live, uh, we have countless products in them. And almost every product has a warning label. Have you ever spent any time reading them? I know, you'd have to be really bored to read a warning label. But if you've ever taken a moment to kind of just scan that warning label, sometimes it's very helpful information. Sometimes you read that warning label and you kind of think to yourself, really? They had to put that on that product? Isn't that just logical? And there's been times where I've read different warning labels and I thought to myself like, man, why in the world did they come up with that warning for that product? And then I think to myself, Probably because there was some lawsuit where someone actually did that, like McDonald's with their coffee. And now there's a warning label, caution, contents may be hot. I'm like, it's coffee, it's going to be hot. Well, this warning label was found on an iron. Do not direct steam at people or animals or iron clothes while they are being worn. I read that warning label and... I'm glad that they included animals with the directing of steam. And I'm like, who would ever do that, right? But my first thought was, like, who would ever just point the iron at someone or an animal? And, and, but then I got to that second part, and I, this might be just revealing too much about me, but in college, I actually tried to iron my clothes while they were on. Have you ever done that? Come on, fellas, come on. You know you've at least thought of it. You get all dressed, and all of a sudden you look in the mirror, and your, your shirt's a little wrinkly, and you're like, well, I don't want to get undressed, so you're like, you're trying to hold it out, and you, have you, just me? This, this warning label was found on a hairdryer. Do not use while sleeping. <laughs> and I really wrestled through, like, how is that even possible? And last night, after service, I had uh, uh, someone come up to me and goes, no, really, I, I have a story about that. I'm like, and she tells me the story, I'm like, oh, wow, the, they had someone actually... Oh, okay, but I can't tell you the story. Uh, this, this warning label was found on a, a, a pair of child uh, Superman pajamas. Wearing of the garment does not enable you to fly. That's important to have that warning label. And uh, I'm not sure if you're handy or if you, you know, like tools. I have a ton of tools in my basement that sit there and get unused. But uh, uh, I had this tool. It's called a Dremel. It's this power electric rotary tool, and they're amazing. You can buy all these different attachments, and they do all these little things that you need that one tool for. The Dremel does it. Well, on the Dremel, there's this warning label. Uh, This product is not intended for use as a dental drill, (laughs) right? And you're like, that's important. But then they go on, in human or veterinarian medical applications. Could you imagine if you went to the dentist, and the dentist pulls out a Dremel, like, that would just be a bad moment. You're like, uh, excuse me, really? But this last warning, you know, all of us uh, have uh, uh, gotten prescription medications before, right? And on the prescription medication bo- bottle, there's all these different warnings about that medication. And you just, you're thankful that they put those uh, 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 warning labels on those medication bottles. Well, this label was for Park the dog. It was a prescription medication for a dog, 
And I, I, I literally looked at the picture of this online. It says this, may cause drowsiness, great. Alcohol may intensify the effect. Use care when operating a car or dangerous machinery. I'm like, I'm glad you put that on for a dog. <laughs> like, right? You're just in this moment going, really? But then I thought to myself, what if we, human beings, what if we had warning labels? Wouldn't that be helpful as you're getting into a relationship just to know what you're getting? Or is it just my sick mind? But I started thinking, what if we all had warning labels? So as you're getting to know someone, all the hard work is done. You just know, oh, okay, this is who this person is. So I thought to myself, well, what would those warning labels say? And here's a few that I thought of. Creative skills will overshadow a semblance of organizational skills. Do you know that person? They might be highly creative, but they can't find anything. I'm married to a creative person. And she can never find her phone. Ever. It's, it's always somewhere. And at first, early on in marriage, it frustrates me because I have this simple saying, everything uh, has its place, right? When you put something in its place, you know where to find it. It's, it's great. It's simple. Why? Because I'm the organizational one. And at first, I got so frustrated. And then I realized, oh, this is just going to be my entire life, right? This is not going to change, And my wife's so great in the creative area. So now when she says she can't find her phone for the fifth time in one day, I just sit there. Okay. (laughs) It's it's great. It took me a while to get there. What if this was a warning label? Everything you share in confidence will not be kept in confidence. Do you know someone like that? I mean, you, you had to find out the hard way. You know, you're, you're having this deep conversation, you're sharing your heart, and you're, you're just assuming that in that moment, they're going to keep everything you say to them, you know, between you and them. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, everyone knows about it. And you're like, oh, I guess we didn't have the same assumption. That would be a great warning label. What if this was a warning label? Continual affirmation is needed to function normally. Do you know a person like that? As long as you're encouraging them, as long as you're saying nice things to them, as long as you're staying connected with them, your relationship is great. But as soon as you stop, they're calling you saying, is everything okay? Did I do something wrong? You're like, no, I've just been busy. And you realize, oh, it's just what they need personally. Or maybe this is another warning label. Yes, I'm smiling. Yes, I'm passive aggressive. I work for a boss like this. I would sit in a meeting with him. I mean, talking leadership initiatives, budgets, uh, decisions, and he would sit there smiling at me, nodding his head, yes. And so I took that as yes, right? Wouldn't you assume that? Oh, smiling and nodding yes means I can move forward. So I'd move forward, and I'd get a phone call or a text message, and he'd be irate, going, who said that you could do that? I'm like, you did. No, I didn't. You were smiling and nodding your head. I thought that meant yes. So I had to learn to actually ask him specific questions and have him verbalize specific answers. What if we all had warning labels? We all do, don't we? All of us. It's just who we are. It's our personality. It's our upbringing. It's how we see this world. Back into what I shared week one and two about the lenses that we all look through. But what happens when 
the warning label shifts to a toxic label. Because that's really into the question we're asking today. Does forgiving someone mean that I have to? Because sometimes you can forgive someone, but they're still toxic. The definition for toxic says this, anything containing poisonous material capable of causing serious sickness or even death. What happens when that person in your life is just a toxic person. There's three different just examples that I want to share with you on what a toxic person is. There's many more. But these are just three, and and maybe you have one of these uh, uh, people in your life. The first example of a toxic person is this, is the chronically negative do you have a person like that? I mean, every conversation with them, every time you go, how's your week? How's your day? It's, oh, it could be better. I call it the Eeyore syndrome. If you have kids in Disney, right? It's like, oh, it's okay. And you want to walk up to them and say, smile. It's really easy. You can do it. It doesn't take, you know, that much effort. Life can't be that bad. They're always judging other people. They're never happy. They're never content. And you see, with that toxic person, guess what it starts doing to you? I mean, just thinking about being around that person, you find yourself going, oh, man, you feel this emotional weight. Another type of toxic person is the controllers. Do you have that person in your life? I mean, they are dominating you in every way. Just you thinking about that person makes you start breathing faster and deeper because you just know you will never be good enough to them. You just know you will never be able to measure up. You just know no matter what you do, what you say, they're going to be critical of you and they're going to control every aspect of your life. It's toxic. Another type of toxic person is the tempters. It's just that person that you just know when you're around, you're just going to do things that you're going to regret. That person that when you're around, you become someone that you kind of look back on, ah, I don't like that person. It's that person in your life. And they're toxic. So what... What do we do with that toxic person? Because that's really into the answer to the question. Okay, I've forgiven, but now what do I do with that person in my life? The first thing you have to do is you have to set boundaries. Boundaries are extremely healthy. Boundaries are there to protect. It's why houses have doors. It's a boundary, right? We have people uh, driving up and down and running up and down our street all the time. But I would say the vast majority of those people going going up and down my street, I don't want them to walk in my front door. Nothing against them personally. I just don't know them. So we have doors with locks. And I control who comes into my house. I can look through a side window and go, ah, not today. Right? 
it's great protection. And guess what? Boundaries, relationally, create protection for you. It's not a, it's not a bad thing. It's a very healthy thing. Boundaries also uh, create responsibility and accountability. Right? When people come into your relationship boundaries, there's a set of rules that they need to follow or guardrails that they need to follow. My kids, every time we go to someone's house, we say this to them in the car. Hey, girls, remember, you treat that person's house better than you treat our house. And we have a pretty high standard. And we say it's our house. It's not my house. It's our house. It's our family. And so they know the standard. And we just say, when you go into someone else's house, now my girls are kids, and they'll do those things as kids where you as a parent just normally react and you will just say, what are you thinking? And as those words are coming out of your mouth, you realize they're not thinking, right? So they're kids, but they just know when we go into someone else's house, there's the boundaries. We play by their rules. And guess what? That's what happens in relationships when you set boundaries. But boundaries also give incredible freedom. 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 Uh, we have this long driveway, and we live right off of Woodland um, down here in Summit, and it's a pretty busy road. And so we've created a boundary on our driveway, and we basically say to, say to the girls, you can't cross that line. The rest of the driveway, the rest of the backyard, the garage, all of that is fair game. Play as free as you want, but don't cross that line because we wanted to create this hedge of protection so in case they fall over that line, they're not in the street. But there's a lot of freedom within the boundaries. Jesus set up boundaries for himself. You read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and there's boundaries everywhere that Jesus set up. I mean, he would be with the masses of people, but yet he pulled back and he chose 12 uh, 12 guys for him to walk with and travel with and minister, minister with and do life with. 12. Not the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, but 12. And within the 12, he had the three, Peter, James, and John. It was another relational boundary. Jesus himself would leave the 12 and leave the three, and he would go up on a mountainside by himself because he needed to get away. That was another boundary. He put boundaries around the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And there's times you you read and he brings them close. And other times he keeps them at arm's distance. There's times where he answers their questions. Other times he just doesn't. You see these relational boundaries. But one of the clearest boundaries was with him and Peter. Peter was part of his inner circle of three guys. You see, Jesus was teaching on what was going to happen next. And in Matthew 16, uh, basically it was kind of this turning point for Jesus. Before then, he was kind of uh, telling people in these vague illustrations of what was going to happen, meaning his arrest, his trial, him being beat, and him being crucified. So he was kind of these broad stories that really didn't get to the specific point of what was going to happen. In Matthew 16, Jesus turns his corner, and he literally uh, says to them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer greatly, and I'm going to die. And in that moment, could you imagine, I mean, just the emotions that welled up within this inner circle of, of, of people that Jesus had brought together. I mean, great friends. And Peter himself responded like a friend would do. And he goes to Jesus, in Matthew 16, it says that Peter rebukes Jesus and said, I'm not going to let it happen to you. Not to you, Jesus. You're not going to suffer. 
not on my watch. They're not going to arrest you, not on my watch. And you're not going to die, not on my watch. Jesus, this isn't going to happen. And listen to how Jesus responds to Peter. Jesus turned, uh, turned and said to Peter, get behind me. Now that's a boundary, right? That's a pretty clear boundary. Jesus says, hey, Peter, where I'm headed, you're now in my way. Where I'm going, you're blocking. Where I am uh, needing to go, God's plans, you are now interfering. Get behind me. There's a boundary that I'm going to put around you. Yes, Peter, you, part of the inner three. Don't interfere. Well, then Jesus says this, and I don't advise you saying this to anyone. He goes, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine dropping that into a relationship? Calling someone Satan? Don't. But could you imagine Peter's attention at this point? I mean, it would push him back on his heels. What Jesus was saying to Peter is, Peter, God the Father has a specific plan for my time here on this earth. I have a purpose, I have a plan and is kicking into high gear. And Peter, you're either going to help me accomplish God's purpose, or you're going to be against me. And if you're against me, you're for Satan. That's a bold statement, isn't it? But Jesus was saying, hey, Peter, I want you with me, but don't interfere with where God's leading. Peter, I want you with me, but don't be an obstacle. And then he gives these very clear kind of directive. He says, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And he's like, hey, Peter, you're looking through a set of lenses that you think is correct. Hey, Peter, You're looking at this situation and you think you're right. But just because you think you're right and just because you're seeing this situation through your lenses doesn't mean that it is right and doesn't mean that it honors God. And Peter, the lenses you're looking through is a selfish, inward, human uh, set of lenses. It's not God's purpose. You see... Setting up those boundaries. And Jesus saying to one of his closest friends, hey, just because you're perceiving the situation like you are doesn't mean it's right. That's why I always hesitate with people when they're like, well, I got some good advice, and I will ask a simple question. Well, is that advice God will give you? Because not all the time is someone's advice to you, godly advice. And we see it right here in this picture with Peter and Jesus. You need to set boundaries. A boundary could be for someone who, how they talk to you, where you set up a boundary and say, if you continue to talk to me this way, I'm going to cut off communication. Right? Because you can't change how they're going to talk to you. We want to set that boundary. Stop talking to me that way. Well, you can't enforce that. 
What you can do is say, if you continue to talk to me that way, I'm going to cut off communication until you change. That's a boundary. For some of you, you have someone in your life that you need to do that with. Another boundary says this. I'm not going to go there, and you fill, up, fill in the blank of what there means. I'm not going to go there with you if we continue to. You know, maybe for you, you're, you realize that alcohol is one of those things in your life that's controlling you. And you have a toxic person in your life. And every time you're with that person, you consume not just too much alcohol. It consumes your entire time. And you need to set up a boundary and say, hey, I want to keep a relationship with you. But alcohol cannot be the thing that, 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 that drives us together. So... I'm not going to go there with you if we continue to. It's a boundary. You know, another boundary that you might put on a toxic person is this. Until you get help, and help may, may, may be counseling, or help may be AA, or help may be an, a, a litany of different uh, thoughts. But until you get help, I'm going to limit our relationship in this way. It's a boundary that you put around So you protect yourself from a toxic person. And in the most extreme cases, and I'm talking extreme cases, after you've tried to put every boundary up, after you've done everything you can to help that person and help your relationship, sometimes you just have to cut off that relationship. Sometimes you have to remove that relationship. And hear me on this. That's not an excuse for you to go and get a divorce. I'm not talking about marriage. It's a covenant relationship that you joined with a person. I'm not talking about family. That's in a whole different conversation. Now, if that, if that person, whether spouse or family member, is verbally, physically abusive, right, th- that takes it to a different conversation. I'm not talking about those extreme circumstances. But what I'm saying is, in your relational world, you might have to cut off that relationship. Paul, who wrote um, a majority of the New Testament, he... Uh, He was going on these missionary journeys, and he was uh, uh, helping launch churches, start churches, encourage, uh, encouraging these new, uh, new churches, and he was just kind of uh, this uh, pastor to pastors, if you want to put it this way. And one of his missionary journeys, uh, he was with a group of guys, and something happened. And we're not sure what happened, but there was a lot of relational tension. And he was getting ready to go out on a another kind of one of these missionary journeys to go back to some of these original churches and to encourage and, 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 and just be a catalytic leader to these newfound churches. And uh, this is what takes place. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. It goes on. He says, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and he had not continued with them in the work. Now, to understand this, this tension in this moment, 
Uh, John Mark is cousins with Barnabas, so there's a family relationship there. And on this earlier missionary journey, right in the middle of their missionary journey, John Mark just takes off, just takes off. We don't know why. We don't know why he deserted. We don't know what arose, but he just bails on them. And so when Paul was getting ready to set back out to visit these churches, he goes to Barnabas, his friend, and says, hey, Barnabas, let's go out. We had a great time last time together. We're good together. Let's do this again. And Barnabas was like, hey, I want to bring my cousin. And Paul was like, no, no, he bailed. I don't want him around. He's not healthy in this journey. He might do this again. So it goes on in verse 38 or 39. And he says, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company and Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left. He just severed the relationship. It must have been that bad. It must have been that intense. Last Saturday night, after I, I, I preached on forgiveness, I had a, someone come up to me and she shared with me what she read on this plaque on the counselor's wall. And uh, this plaque uh, simply said, uh, forgiveness is required, trust may be optional. And you see, within the, uh, uh, in this answer to this question of, you know, does forgiveness mean I have to? The simple answer is no. It does not mean you have to continue a relationship with the person. It doesn't. If you set up healthy boundaries, if you've communicated those boundaries to that person and say, hey, we can continue a relationship, but you must be within these boundaries. Guess what? Trust takes time to rebuild, doesn't it? When someone has broken your trust, The next day, you're just not going to say, I trust you again. It takes time. It takes them repeated moments to earn your trust back. And that's where boundaries come in. That's why boundaries are important. So for you, I have two questions to end our time together. One is this. Is there something in your life, personally, about you, where you see your, the warning label on you going from a warning to a toxic label? When I gave those three examples, were you saying, ah, I think that might be me? My challenge for you, if you just think that that warning label is turning into a toxic label, or maybe someone has said to you, you're toxic, that's a, that's a great sign. Reach out, get help, counseling, great friends, church will partner with you, whatever that is. Guess what? You can go from toxic back to a warning label. But take that bold step. You'll be glad you did. Second thing, what boundaries do you need to set up around people? Right now. There's someone toxic in your life. I'm just telling you. What boundaries? And it might go against your personality makeup to set up those boundaries. They'll be one of the healthiest things you do for you. Because here's the thing. 
Jesus would pull away by himself. And when he was pulling away, he was detoxing. He was spending time with God the Father. So that when he would come down that mountain again, guess what he would enter into? A world filled with toxic people. He set up those boundaries so he could remain healthy. He set up those boundaries so that he could continue to minister and interact with and help toxic people. And that's why we see him pulling in with the 12 and pulling in with the three and pulling in by himself so that he could re-engage back into the world and he could help people that need help. And we all need to do that ourselves. We all need that. It's not about isolating ourselves from toxic people. It's about setting healthy boundaries in hopes that it will help them grow, but also to protect us individually. It's important. So, do you have a concern from going from a warning label to a toxic label? If you are, man, reach out. Reach out. Get help. That's great. And what boundaries do you need to put up in your life this week? What boundaries? Be clear. Be precise with those boundaries. And then stick to them. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for our time together today. And uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, as we set up boundaries in our lives, people will realize that they're there for protection and for accountability and for freedom. In reality, when we set up relational boundaries, it helps, or it has the potential to help another person work through the toxic pieces in their life. And Lord, I pray for people here that just know that, man, they're dancing on that line between warning and toxic. And Lord, I pray that they'll just reach out Because, God, you've not called us to do this journey of life alone. You want us to link arms with other people to help us in this journey called life. So, Lord, I pray that they'll take a bold step and reach out. In your name I pray. Amen. God bless. Have an amazing week.